Welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the massive changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. the privilege to guest host for David Lichtenstein's headline show, and I spoke about the topic of seminaries. The title of the show was, Seminary in Eretz Yisrael, Is It Worth It? And that was some experience. I received many, many comments from listeners to the show, as well as over a hundred responses to our survey, which we put up at seminarysurvey.com, requesting parents or girls that went to Seminary Yisrael to respond to a few anonymous questions by survey. On the survey, we asked about 10 questions regarding their experience in a Seminary Yisrael and what their feelings were about it. And a lot of the responses were very telling, as we will get to shortly. The reason why I wanted to speak about Seminary specifically is because the system today has been become very different from the way it used to be in the past. 20-something years ago, when my wife went to seminary, only about a third of her class went to Eretz Yisrael for seminary. Many girls didn't go to seminary at all, and many others went to local seminaries. What happened over the last 20 years that somehow it's become a situation where a vast majority of girls graduating from high schools are going to Eretz Yisrael for seminary. It's, it's kind of like a given. If you're a graduate of a Beis Yaakov High School, you go to seminary in Eretz Yisrael. Now, this is even though the cost to attend seminary in Eretz Yisrael, and it's confirmed, this has been confirmed from the responses that we got in our survey, costs almost $30,000. Some spent even more. So why has it become a given that every girl who graduates Pesyakov has to spend $30,000 on a year of seminary in Eretz Yisrael? So the point of my show was to bring up the question, why does going to seminary have to become the, the standard for every high school graduate? Now, truth be told, there are definitely benefits to going to seminary in Eretz Yisrael. And this has been pointed out by many callers, many people who took the time to email me, that there are certainly situations where a year of seminary can do wonders. There are girls who need to get away from their house for whatever reason. Either they're in a unstable home, which is obviously, hope, hopefully, a minority of cases, but a girl who's in an unstable home could do, could do her very well, both preparing her for marriage and just in general for life, to spend a year away from her family. A girl whose parents are very dominating and they don't let her express her own independence or her own personality while she's living with her parents for whatever reason certainly can benefit from a year in Eretz Yisrael where she can develop on her own and her own personality can come out. A girl who's a Balas Tshuva, she comes from a non-religious background, going to Eretz Yisrael is a wonderful experience. And 
I'm sure the seminaries that cater to Bali, Bali Tshuva are a lot cheaper, a lot more affordable than the seminaries that we're sending most of our daughters to. Neve, let's make special mention of Neve. Certainly does great work for lots of Bal- Balas Tshuvas. And we, ha- we heard from quite a few of them who took the time to respond to our survey and, and a call into the show how the seminary year was a formative year in their development in Yiddishkeit and Ruchnius and developing the sense of normalcy that they need to build a Jewish house. However, in the vast majority of cases, girls coming from strong Tyredika homes, when they went to good high schools, what is the reason that they feel they need a year in Eretz Yisrael? And why does it have to come at such a great expense? Before we get to a recording of the headlines show, the complete show, I just wanted to go over in more detail the five issues that I raised in the beginning of the show regarding the year of seminary in Eretz Yisrael. Number one is the cost. There's no getting away from that. Almost everybody who went to seminary in Eretz Yisrael, unless they have some sort of connection to the head of the seminary, a personal connection, either a relative or a close friend, had to pay at least twenty dollars to $30,000 for the year of Eretz Yisrael. This includes all expenses. But $30,000 is a lot of money, at least for me. And to make that a required expenditure for every single girl, it needs a good reason. Why are we spending all that money? For what purpose? And that is the first and foremost issue that I feel with seminaries that it's required, almost required, that every single graduate, every single girl has to spend that kind of money for a year in Eretz Yisrael that, that has questionable value. The second issue that we brought up was the form of learning that goes on in seminaries. Again, there are big shilas about girls learning Torah. We're not supposed to teach Torah to women. Even though there is a Hirasha for whatever reason, the question is, to what extent does the Hirasha allow us to teach Torah to girls? And the level of learning that, was, that, that some seminaries do is quite intense. We mentioned the seminary, Mesoros Rachel, and Mrs. Tarshish, who we really tried very hard to get her on, to the, on the show to explain her, her, her philosophy behind the Medrash report, which girls spend a good part of the year working on. Unfortunately, she didn't want to come on the show. Some people were upset that we mentioned that. Of course, she does not have to come on to the show, but this is something that is the cornerstone of, of her seminary, something that girls walk away with, it's a, and, and it's a very memorable experience. A lot of girls who, in, in, who, who wrote back in, in the survey, they attended her seminary, and there was a lot of mixed feelings about that Medrash report. And the, the, the Medrash report is really just an example of the type of learning that's going on in seminaries and the question of, like, who's allowing this intense learning to take place? And again, is this permitted? Is this our hashkafa? Is this our Masera? The third issue was the is- issue regarding Shaduchim. Many people are under the mistaken impression that it's required for a girl to go to seminary in Eretzol in order for it to get a good Shaduch. That's why we had two Shadchanim on, the, the, two, the two well-known Shadchanim, Shlaimi Lewinstein and Rebzada Katz, both of them said very clearly that it's not required. It's a mistake to think that it's required to go to seminary itself for a good shidduch. It's not true. Most boys don't care which seminary they went to. And even if they do ask, it's really just to get uh, a sense of what kind of girl she is. Like a girl that gets into a certain seminary, oh, so she's that type of girl. So it's really it's similar to the question of like, where does the father daven on Shabbos? Trying to get a sense of the type of family 
that, 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 that the girl belongs to. So a girl that gets into a certain seminary, oh, so she's that kind of girl. A girl that went to this type of seminary, so it gives a, very, a, a better picture of what category or what type she is. But most boys don't care about it. It's, there's plenty of, of, of great girls who don't go to seminary in Eretz Yisrael, although it's getting less and less because more and more girls are going to Eretz Yisrael. There are plenty of girls who go to seminary in America and get great shadokhim. The other issue was regarding what the purpose of seminary is and what, what's the history behind seminaries. And that's why we brought on Yehuda Geberer, who gave us the whole long history of the Beis Yaakov movement and of girls' seminary, where the point of seminary was really just to provide teachers for the Beis Yaakov movement. That was the purpose of the seminary, the teacher's seminary that was founded by Sarah Schneer in Krakow in the year 1928, I believe it was, that he said. And that was the purpose of the teacher seminary, the Basiakov Intensive Seminary that was founded by Robinson Kaplan, first in Williamsburg and then in Borough Park, was to provide teachers for her schools in America. Never was it intended to become a standard that every high school graduate has to go to seminary. So we were just bringing out the point that to say that it's an hour Messiah and it's our Hashkafa and the Gedalim allowed and they wanted that every girl should go to seminary is absolutely not true. It was never intended to be that. And only over time it evolved to become the standard for every single girl only in the last 20, 30 years. The final issue which I brought up in the introduction was regarding pressure. Uh, why are the high schools pressuring girls to go to seminary in Eretz Yisrael? Even if they feel it's a nice thing, there's no reason why girls should be guilt-tripped into going, why families should be made to feel that if they don't send their girls to Eretz Yisrael to seminary, they're doing them a disservice. It's okay if they don't go, and they'll be just fine, both in, in, in terms of their ruchnias and in terms of their development. So those are the five issues that we brought up. I, we didn't hear too many people arguing about them. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, some people felt that the style of learning is okay and it is sanctioned by the G'daylam. I wish we would have more discussion on that and people willing to speak about that because that's something that I'm very interested in and I really want to have an honest and fair discussion with a qualified authority speak, to speak about the topic, why the girls are learning on such an intense level, why it's necessary for their ruchnias. Certainly the cost of seminary is something that's very troubling. We had Rabbi First, a clip from Rabbi First, where he said that seminary should only cost $8,000. Even if he's half wrong, uh, the seminary should cost 15000 or 16000 We're still a far cry when, when a lot of the seminaries are charging 25000 So yes, they're, intent, they're, they're entitled to make some profit. That is true. But a lot of that is coming on the backs of struggling families, families that are really struggling financially. And if seminary is becoming sort of required just by the sheer volume of girls that are going and, 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 and the pressure that the school is putting on them, then there should be an alternative. There should be a way of making seminary more affordable for these families. So I hope in the future, in the near future, to go back on headlines with a follow-up show We'd like to speak to some seminary leaders who, where they could clarify a lot of the issues that we brought up. I'd like to speak to some high school principals regarding their philosophy uh, and, and their practices. Do they put pressure on the girls or families to send them to Eretz Yisrael? And if so, if they do, why do they? And I'm sure there are many principals that will deny it and say they don't, but we did hear from quite a few 
families that said that they went through a lot of pressure and they had to, either either they succumbed to the pressure and ended up sending to Israel because the school wanted them to go or they had to really put up with a lot and, and, uh, and it was a very unpleasant experience. But we also want to speak to young families that were living in Eretz Yisrael or that still are in Eretz Yisrael and get to host seminary girls for Shabbos because we're, we're hearing a lot of reports from some from, from those people that when they host the seminary girls for Shabbos, they feel that, A, a lot of them aren't happy. They really would rather be home. And they're not so ha- and, and, and their observation of the girls there in seminary it leaves a lot to be desired. So we'd like to hear their story and what they have to, uh, the, the, and the information that they have to share because it's very revealing. The people that are living there are seeing firsthand how the girls are and how they're doing. Parents it's very hard for them to get a clear picture of what's going on, even if they come visit only for a few days, but it's hard for them to get a clear picture of what their daughters are doing and how happy they are, or how unhappy they are. And that's why I would really like to interview a few uh, families who host girls regularly in Eretz Yisrael. And of course, we have to get to the survey questions. We went through the survey. We, we asked a lot of good questions, and the survey is still up. So you can take the survey at seminarysurvey.com. It's up there. If you went to Eretz Yisrael to seminary, or if your daughter recently went to Eretz Yisrael to seminary, it's an anonymous survey, so you could feel comfortable answering the questions. And the information that we're getting is very, very revealing, very helpful, which will help us prepare for the follow-up show on this topic. My objective is not to shut down seminaries. I know people are accusing me of doing a hatchet job on seminaries. That's not my objective. All I'm trying to do is make it okay for those families that don't want to send their daughters to seminary, either because they don't feel it's necessary or it's too expensive or for any of the reasons that we went through. It shouldn't have to be that 30 out of 32 girls in a grade go to Eretz Yisrael to seminary. That puts tremendous, tremendous pressure on the girls who are, who, who are deciding not to go. First of all, they feel as losers. Like, why aren't they going to Eretz Yisrael? They're the only ones to admit that they can't afford it, or they're the only ones to admit that they don't want to leave their families for a year. So if we're able to accomplish that going to seminary is a choice made by the girl out of her own will, without external pressure, that's going to reduce the number of, of respondents who will say that they wish they never did it in the first place. Because if you do something out of your own will, out of, of your own free will and desire, that's something that you're going to be invested in or a person's going to be invested in, they're much more likely to have a more positive experience than those that feel forced into it. So we're not trying to shut down seminaries. All we're trying to do is make it that it's not required. It doesn't have to be. If you don't want to go, that's also okay. And if we're able to accomplish that, that's a huge milestone. Now let me bring you a recording of last week's Headlines show. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Headlines. I'm Aaron Parnas, host of the Chinuch 2.0 show, and today we're going to discuss the topic of girls' seminaries. This topic is very complex, and there are many angles to cover, and none of it is straightforward. I want to start off by saying that I tried very hard to get people from seminaries to join us and was unsuccessful. Truth be told, 
It's the beginning of the school year, and they're dealing with a lot of issues. There's a quarantine, Yamam Taivim coming up, school starting. So I hope, Amir Tashem, to have some representation from the seminaries on a future show. In the meantime, those of you who have attended seminary in Eretz Yisrael, or if you have daughters who attended, you can help us understand more about this topic by filling out a quick survey at seminarysurvey.com. Again, the information from the survey will help us greatly as we prepare for a future show on the subject. I want to focus our discussion on five different points regarding girls' seminaries in Eretz Yisrael. Number one, the price of seminary. Unfortunately, sending a girl to Eretz Yisrael in seminary is not cheap. Tuition is about $25,000, and that doesn't cover the cost of air travel, cell phones, insurance, and spending money. Very often, the parents will come visit their daughter in the middle of the year, adding another couple of thousand dollars to the mix. Even seminaries themselves agree that going to seminary is very expensive. I'm going to read you a section of the contract from one of the seminaries that was sent to me by a parent who had to sign it as part of the registration process. A personal and sincere note to parents, we are fully aware that the cost of attending seminary in Eretz Yisrael is an expensive, albeit worthwhile endeavor that will enhance your daughter's spiritual, social, and academic growth. We greatly admire and appreciate those parents who with great mysterious nefesh make this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity available to their daughters in spite of the financial strains such a decision might put on their budget. Nevertheless, we ask you that you take time to consider if and how you can make this choice a fiscal reality for your daughter, and if you really do have the means to offer her this priceless opportunity that nonetheless does carry a price tag. And then they go on to continue and say that if after research and consideration you're not able to fulfill this obligation, please do not sign this application. Here's a clip from the Paisik or of Shmuel First of Chicago in an earlier show with David Lichtenstein about the high cost of attending seminary. We have the honor of having with us from Chicago, Harav Hagarin Rav Shmuel First. He's the Rav of Agudis Yisrael of Chicago. He is the, uh, the Dayan of the Aguda, and he, the famous Paisik from Chicago, welcome, Rav First. Yes. So, so, Rabbi First, we had on a parent who was crying that they sent their child to seminary. They sent three daughters to seminary. Yeah. And they said the cost is around, with airfare and everything, it's between twenty-five and $30,000 a kid. Yeah. And because it's considered if you don't send your kid to seminary today, it, it's going to shter shaduchim. And I know the mirror is five. If they, if they can't afford it, they should not send them to Yisrael. There's such a thing as betachon and rabbanu shalom. The zivik is already written before Abal yom kaimtiyas avlad. Going to Yisrael will not make a difference if they can get married or not. If they can't afford to go to Yisrael, then they should not go to Yisrael. I think it's a highway robbery that they're charging such high amounts in Yisrael. They don't for bochum they only charge that amount. And they don't even give them even they don't even give Shabbos they don't even give even meals then they're, according to the people who know it costs them about eight thousand dollars a year each student the rest is pure profit so 
Rabbi first, what can we do as a community if it's costing parents twenty-five to thirty thousand? I think they should a, stop a boy sending the children. They should stop sending their children to Israel. If, if a bunch of parents get together or the school gets together and makes their own seminary and continue, just continue after twelfth grade, make your own seminary. It'll be a lot cheaper and make a lot of parents happy. Who says you have to go to Israel? And do you find that? First, that the year in Eretz Yisrael is worth the twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars. Do you find that to be case as a, as a head of a community? Do you see that that it's worth that impact? For certain families, it's a beautiful thing to go to Israel. Certain families, it's not necessary. I think it depends on each family. Certain families, it's good for the kids to get away. Certain ones, it doesn't make a difference. I think if okay. we if we change the trend, not everyone has to go to Israel. It'll help a lot of families. And it'll bring a lot of shown bias in Kali so. so, even if one will argue that it is important for girls to go to Eretz Yisrael for seminary, is it worth the price that we have to pay for it? For most families, the price is a great strain, even if they're making nice incomes from their jobs. We are going to hear from two noted Shadchanim who will weigh in on this very question. Also, as a side note, last year, all the girls who were in Eretz Yisrael were forced to come home early because of the coronavirus outbreak. A parent whose daughter was there told me that as soon as the pandemic hit, they heard nothing from the seminary. The seminary did not contact the parents at all. The parents had to make their own arrangements for their daughters to get home safely. And for a few months, they heard nothing from the seminary. Uh, about a month after Pesach, one of the girls in the seminary called her friends and said that they're going to have some sort of classes by phone for a few hours a day. And then at the end of the year, a few of the Rebetzins from the seminary came in to have some sort of getaway for two or three days. Other than that, they heard nothing from the seminary, not about sending the girls home, and nothing about refunding all the money that wasn't needed for that a third of a year that the girls weren't in seminary. Now, we understand that there are some fixed costs that the seminary has to pay regardless if the girls are there or not. But there definitely was a lot of money saved by, by the fact that the girls went home. There was no food cost, no utility cost, no trip costs, no transportation costs, and many, many other costs that they saved, which is only right that that money should go back to the parents. I'm not suspecting the seminaries of keeping money that doesn't belong to them. I'm sure they have some justification for doing so. But as I said, there was no one available to come on the program to explain their side of the story. The second issue that I want to bring up is what the girls are learning while they're in seminary. This week's parasha talks about the mitzvah of hakel. And the Torah says, hakel es ha'am anashim, Nashem v'taf. So the Gemara in Chagiga says that the men, Anashim, come to learn, and the women come l'shmoya, to hear. Why does it use the word l'shmoya, to hear, when it talks about the women? And the answer, as stated by the Rishayim, is that the women who don't have a mitzvah to learn Torah, the purpose of them coming to Hakel is just to hear. The Maritz Chayas over there in the Gemara in Chagiga says that this would be a raya to what's mashma from the Rambam, that even though women 
um, are not supposed to learn Torah Shabbat Peh. The Rambam seems to imply that even Torah Shabbat even the written Torah, it might not be Ki'ilu Melamda Tiflas on Torah Shabbat but it's still not a good thing for women to be taught Torah Shabbat So the purpose of the women coming to Hakel is just to hear and be inspired from the wor- listening to the words of Torah and not for the sake of learning. Of course, there's the famous Heter, the Harasha of the G'daylam of previous generations that's been universally accepted to have Beis Yaakov schools because otherwise we wouldn't have a Klai Yisrael. Of course, every, in every community, girls are taught Torah and they're taught Yerushamayim and that's how we have a Jewish nation. But we have to know to what extent does the Heter to teach Torah go? Are girls able to learn Mishnayis, Gemara? If you look through the contemporary Paiskim, Ramesha Feinstein and many others, they say that women are not supposed to be learning intense, intense Limud. Are we following the proper Masara by teaching girls on such a high level? Speaking about Masara, there's a seminary in Eretz Yisrael by the name of Masaris Rachel, where the girls have to write what's called a Medrash report. I interviewed a few girls who attended the seminary and they told me that they spend between 90 to 100 hours throughout the year on a report that requires them to put together what's like a thesis on a specific topic, weaving together Midrashim and other Chazals, Marals, and other Mefarshim. And it often requires a lot of input from the girls' fathers and or brothers. Do we say that the Hiras Shah of the G'daylam of previous generations, who gave the Heter for the Beis Yaakov movement, goes so far? I reached out to Mrs. Rina Tarshish of the seminary, and unfortunately, she declined to come on the show. The third point that I want to bring up is, have seminaries changed from the original purpose of seminaries? We're going to hear at great length from Yehuda Geberer, who's a noted historian and the host of the Jewish History Soundbites podcast, how seminaries were designed just to develop teachers who would be able to teach in the Beis Yaakov schools. It was never meant that all girls should attend seminary. The seminaries that were originally started were very exclusive, and they only took the very, very best girls who were going to be teachers of the next generation. It was never meant that every single girl should attend seminary. The next point that's very important to bring up is regarding Shaduchim. Many people are under the impression that their daughters have to go to seminary in Eretz Yisrael or else they won't get read Shaduchim. That's how they justify sending them, even at great personal expense, because they feel that that's the only way my daughter could get married. We're going to speak to two noted Shadchanim, Shlomi Lewinstein and Sadek Katz, who are going to get clear up some common misconceptions about this topic. And the final topic that I want to bring up in this introduction is regarding the pressure from the high schools. In the past few days of doing research for this show, I've heard countless stories of how girls that weren't planning on going to seminary were pressured into applying and registering because of the pressure from their school. There's a story of a girl who attended a prestigious high school in Lakewood. I'm not going to say the name of the school until we give the principal a chance to come on the show. 
where the girl told the principal that she wasn't planning on going to Eretz Yisrael for seminary because her parents can't afford it. Yet nevertheless, the principal called her out repeatedly during the season of, of seminary applications, insisting that she imply and register because a girl like you shouldn't go to seminary? So before we go to our guests, I just want to say once again that this topic is very complex and no one should jump to any conclusions one way or another. One show on this topic is definitely not enough. So that's why I'm calling on people involved in seminaries to come on the show and discuss this topic so that we could share both sides of the story and address the concerns that we're bringing up over here. And again, the answers that our audience can give us to the survey which is at seminarysurvey.com, will help us better understand the issues and how people really feel about this topic. Let's go to our guests. I'm speaking with Rabbi Yoel Kramer. He is a veteran mechanach. He was the principal of Prospect Park, Benoslea High School, for almost 35 years. And he was also the educational director of Benos Chava Seminary for 25 years. And he runs the Merkaz Center for Teacher Training. Welcome, Rabbi Yael. Welcome. So, Rabbi Kramer, the question is like this. Parents, there's really two questions. Parents have to make a great sacrifice to send their girls to seminary in Eretz Yisrael. It's a big financial decision. Um, what, what are the girls, what are we trying to get out? What are we trying to accomplish from this year? Talking about a typical Basyakov girl who grew up in a strong Torah value home, what's she trying to accomplish from a year in seminary? And also, what is the role of her high school in that, in that decision? Like, should the high school be encouraging the girls to go? Sometimes they, give, uh, they put a tremendous amount of pressure on the girls. What is, what, what is the role of the high school in this decision? Okay, so to clarify, um, I counseled as a high school principal um, girls who were graduating from 1970 to 1995. Uh, my answers, therefore, are classic answers that fit for that period of time. I will also share with you, as I, as I list the points, um, the Eureka, the decline uh, of the Dur since then, and how some of these um, answers are, are, are mitigated in a way. Some of these reasons, rather, are mitigated uh, because of the decline of time. Um, the classic reasons that I would share with a parent are, number one, um, your daughter has moved, has had all decisions made for her. Um, she's been an adolescent. She's in a school that you decided and is doing basically most of what you decided. Uh, now she moves into um, a, an adult or era of adult life moves out of adolescence into an adult life and eventually marriage. Um, what this year does is give her an opportunity to exclusively spend her time in Torah and um, see the, um, the, the depths of Torah uh, with no chayl, with nothing else around. It will shape her it will focus her goals um, as she builds adult living and, and builds a house. Um, one of the arguments always is, but what 
Southerners are doing a brainwashing. I always contended that perhaps we should look at it from a different perspective. Uh, maybe up to now, until age 18, her life has been a brainwashed life. Brainwashed by her home and whatever that values are, uh, by the society that she lives in. And maybe now it's taking her out of that brainwashing into open exposure where she begins to see new things. It, it's a counter to the, the brainwash, um, brainwashing argument. Uh, another reason, exposure to a new world, to new levels of avayda, uh, to new levels, to new values, to new expectations, to a lifestyle um, of subsistence or more low-keyed, um, to, 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 to just new, new people and new places. Uh, as an example, I have a, a granddaughter who was sent to seminary just last week. Um, the decision by her parents, um, she comes from a Midwest city where she was born there. All of her exposure is basically that Midwest city and um, its values and the friends and all basically limited. Obviously, trips to Bobby and Zaidi and, and, and such, but they felt that despite the present situation, that exposure and that breadth was important and therefore sent her, despite the, the bidud and, and the, the difficulties that are going on now. Exposure also to, to new girls and, and girls with uh, hopefully higher, higher she'ifas, higher, higher uh, goals. The average classroom is, is, a, is a heterogeneous classroom. The average seminary is more homogeneous and maybe um, elevates the girl by exposure, exposure to other girls of, of who want who want to step more. Now, once again, understand that uh, if people are going to make decisions that don't do this, um, that um, that um, <clears throat> have uh, this choice of the seminary is one where. There are not girls who are coming for the right reason, and obviously, this 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 argument and this reason is is, is less so. Let's go on. Another reason is the importance of independence. Um, for a girl to go off and make decisions, plans, problem solving, and dealing with with the normal challenges, everyday challenges, by herself. Is, is, is the very valuable point. Now, the reader of the door is, I sent children uh, away um, 40 years ago, uh, our, our daughters 40, 30 years ago to seminary. We, we spoke by telephone uh, four times during the year, before Yom and Tevin, birthdays. Uh, don't laugh now when, when we, we know that girls are sent off. Uh, they may talk uh, four times a day. Okay. So um, th this reason is 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 uh, basically uh, not a reason anymore when when the parent is a helicopter parent. If one would send a girl off and not have her call daily to say what she had for breakfast and how her tummy hurts uh, and what should she do for Shabbos, then of course it's it's less of a reason. Um, 
Another reason is the depth of Torah learning. Um, she is exposed without being involved in the Mudechel. Her whole day is just Torah learning. Uh, she's exposed to the depth of preparation. She's exposed, if it's a good seminary, to the depth of independent research uh, to match uh, the whole uh, that she eventually, when she comes back, might um, might be involved in. Uh, somehow, not somehow, but it makes it clear that that Torah learning has has a a level that she's not been exposed to in the past and may not be in the future. Um, one of the other arguments was always, um, what's the alternative? Uh, when when I counseled, there was there was very little ter- alternative on this side of the ocean. Um, so what a girl did was continue to just segue and do the same thing she did in high school. Um, talk to her friends half a night, uh, do nothing really substantial, uh, often no academics, no thinking, certainly no Torah learning, no evening classes. Much of that was not available. And very often um, going on to Chol only, to, to uh, higher learning in the academic uh, secular world. Um, and, and that pulling her... The, so that she would go through a week without any Torah in her life. Um, nowadays, uh, on the positive side, there are, there have been uh, new seminaries of higher level that have opened up on this side of the ocean. And often that's, that's, that's an argument. That's an argument that it may be less uh, uh, crucial or, or uh, compelling uh, nowadays. Mm-hmm. The idea of the price, let, let's deal with that. When I sent, uh, it was a fraction uh, of, of what the price is nowadays. And children went and stayed there the entire year. They didn't bounce back uh, every uh, every uh, second cousin Simcha. <laughs> and certainly uh, children went, all of our children went, they stayed for Pesach. And no, but no parents came to visit them in the middle of the year either. And right? no parent came to visit, and if they did, they were not at the the the, the, the classic hotel uh, entertaining all of the other students. So mm-hmm. it was it was a different world, and therefore the advantages and the course um, were not so so Justified. extreme. Right. Nowadays, uh, uh, it, it's quite different, and therefore. Uh, to answer your question, high schools should not be pressuring. They should list, as I just did now, all of the advantages, uh, but understand that if a parent can, then to, um, to see what one could do to, um, to draw out some of these advantages uh, that I listed and see that if they cannot be done in some other way. I think that basically I've, I've summarized uh, the, the major points uh, for parents to think of. Okay, so so this I mean this this practice that today you have many schools, especially out of town schools, where virtually every single girl is going to seminary to Israel. I mean, based on the on what on what you said before, it's something that really the parents should, should the parents and the girls should think about and 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 go through the the, the reasons that you said and, and decide is that something that they really absolutely need, and if they, right. and if they can afford it. And the, pre- the present pandemic,
pandemic situation has jolted us, as it has in many, many of our, our, our values, jolted us to think and reanalyze. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I want to caution again that if one does go, that it be to a place that's not just, um, to use the, the teenage term, a blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was awesome. All, all these, these uh, adolescent terms, uh, uh, there's a, I'll end with a good joke. Uh, if one hears this scream, screeching kind of sound on the streets of uh, Yerushalayim, it's either a uh, an ambulance rushing to a uh, to some a- accident or incident, or two seminary girls who met on the streets of Malchi Israel, and they haven't seen each other since yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy the joke. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're not gonna. I I wished that 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 syndrome get broken, and then that's not the purpose of sem. Rabbi Kramer, thank you very much for your heartfelt words and, uh, and your advice, and uh, really appreciate you participating in the program. My pleasure. We're speaking to two well-known Shadchanim, Shlomi Lewinstein and Sada Katz. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks. Hi, how you doing, Rabbi? So, let's say I have a daughter in 12th grade, and it's coming time when uh, they're choosing, all the girls are choosing seminaries, and we're not so excited about sending our daughter to Eretz Yisrael to seminary. It's very expensive and for many other reasons. But we're afraid that if we don't send her to Eretz Yisrael for seminary, she won't be able to get a good shidduch. In your opinion, is this something that we should be overly worried about? I think that the uh, whole idea that a girl has to go to uh, seminary to Yisrael is uh, relatively new. It's probably less than 20 years old. Um, I think it's mainly teachers that are promoting this and some parents. When I speak to many, many boys, they really don't care where the girl went to seminary, if it's Eretz Yisrael or in America. Obviously, it should be similar to the type of shidduch or type of culture that they are in. It means there definitely is important where you go to anything for school, camp, or seminary. But Eretz and America, the fear that's put in, in my humble opinion, is not really genuine that it's a real problem. It's just a mindset that people have that you have to go to Eretz to get a good shidduch. What's important for you for your daughter, for Shadokim, is do what's best for her. Don't think so much about what people are going to think in Shadokim. You do what's best for her. Most girls, I find, do very well at home in Lakewood, New York, Borough Park, wherever they live. There are excellent seminaries. Um, actually, I have two daughters that went to Bnos Chaim in Lakewood. Uh, there's Rev. Sininovsky has a seminary, and there's excellent seminaries in 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 New York. Um, quality, excellent quality. So the whole idea that Israel versus America in quality is definitely there's no question that American seminaries are just as good, maybe better, and you have the advantage that your daughter's home, which is where a girl really should be. So if you're worried about shidduchim, I think you should just do what's right for your daughter and make that decision. 
So I'm not going to tell you which seminary is actually better for her, but in just the question of Israel versus America, that's uh, nothing to worry about. Uh, Shlaimi, you want to okay. add your thoughts? Yeah. Um, and I would say in the end of the day, I don't think anyone really cares, um, you know, where the girl went to seminary. That's, you know, obviously people, once they meet and they, get to know each other it's irrelevant um you know there's inf- like Tadek was saying there's uh as far as the chinuch is concerned there's excellent seminaries in in locally in, in lakewood and in new york and um you know maybe this uh, there are people in the field of chinuch that are encouraging the, the idea that a girl must go there to show but you know as far as i know as far as uh from what I understand, I don't see, I mean, I'm not saying there's no exceptions, there's no people that could gain from the time in Eretz Yisrael, you know, I mean, who says it has to be for a whole year, maybe it should be for a couple of months, but uh, from what I see, there's excellent chinuch, uh, you know, in the local ones, and there's, there's good ones in Eretz Yisrael, but that the girl must go, I, I don't see the need. Okay, so let, let me ask you a question. A lot of people feel that when a girl goes to Eretz Yisrael, she gains a certain independence and maturity because she's away from home and she's learning to live on her own. As opposed to in America, she, she's home, she's, she's with her parents, she hasn't learned to, uh, to, to, to be on her own, so it doesn't prepare her for marriage as well. Do you feel that that's true? Is that a real concern? Or is that just something that's blown out of proportion? There's definitely some advantages to Eretz Yisrael, and there's, a, there's definitely some advantages to America. On one hand, I could make the argument that the girls in America, when they, they're much more grounded when they leave seminary, they already have jobs prepared, they have their resumes, uh, they know what they're doing, a lot of them even start their jobs. Um, they go into the new year already all prepared. The girls that land from Eretz Yisrael, and then they go to camp, and then comes El, and then Sukkot, and then you know, they're, they're starting to land when they're Hanukkah time. So I think that the American girls have definitely an uh, advantage over Eretz Yisrael. But Eretz Yisrael also has advantages. You know, they do a lot of chesed and they do get some independence. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good. Um, the mile of Eretz Yisrael is machkim and there's a lot of uh, miles of being in Eretz Yisrael. But like Shlomi said, that could be, uh, you know, you could do a month and a lot of the seminaries do a trip. And, um, but again, there are definitely some advantages to being away from home that you could build some independence. And there's definitely a lot of advantages being with home with your mother, helping out your family and, um, staying local. That's just my feeling. I mean, uh, I could hear that argument that a girl will gain a level of maturity from going to Eretz Yisrael to be on her own. You know, I, I, I'm not really sure if uh, there's such a difference between uh, in, in that uh, on that angle between Eretz Yisrael and camp. You know, a lot of girls go to camp in the summer and they're also away from home. You know, they're, uh, they're you know, and, and, and as far as maturity and independence, I think that, like Tzadok was saying, there's, there's a mile to America too because girls are, uh, are more grounded over here in America. Some of them are beginning to take uh, college courses, and and you know they they go to 
uh, start, you know, get, getting their careers uh, going, which definitely does, and it definitely does raise the level of maturity in that way. So, you know, like there's miles to in in Eretz there's miles in America the, the, in, in that uh, in that angle. But I would say that this again, it's not a must to go to Eretz for that reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to to wrap it all up over here, we'll start with Shlaimi first. In your opinion. Do you feel that the seminary experience in Eretz which costs a fortune, it's, uh, it could be $35,000, and for many families, it's, it's a very big struggle. Do you feel that it's a worthwhile investment for, you to, for a person to, 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 muchazach, to send their daughter for that price tag? So, you know, it depends who. You know, there are girls that definitely uh, grow a lot and, and uh, gain a tremendous amount from going. So for those girls, maybe, you know, you can make an argument that would be worth it. But to make it that it's a must for people to go, that it's, that it's something that a girl has to do, $35,000 is a tremendous amount of money. I guess you mean between the tuition, the traveling, mm-hmm. the clothing that they need, um, the expenses of a girl living there, and a lot of them, are spending extra money going to restaurants and, and going places and so forth and so on. So I guess that all adds up to the 35. You know, um, there, there's, there's many families that have numerous girls. Baruch Hashem, you have families that have five, six, seven, eight girls. And, and the, there's, there's a limit to what people could spend. You know, people are, are, uh, uh, spend, you know, uh, are being mechanic their kids for 12 grades and paying tuition. And, you know, the schools, and we have great schools in America that are um, teaching the girls, you know, the right things. And, and all of a sudden to say that you must go and, and that that year should be uh, five times the amount that it costs to be in America through the first 12 grades is just doesn't seem to make sense to me. And let's remember a lot of families, um, you know, I, if I could bring up a story that uh, a seminar, uh, a high school, a high school principal once told me, he once told me that a, a girl came to for a transcript. Um, I think that's the paper that you need in order to get into seminary. You need that paper from high school. And he looked at the girl. I, I don't know if he said anything to her, but, he was very, it upset him because this is a girl that's parents did not pay tuition for high school. I, I don't know if they didn't pay that year or they didn't pay the, the whole time. And, you know, tuition in high school in, in the Lakewood school, what is it? Six, $7,000. And all of a sudden, this girl, all of a sudden they found the money to go to Eretz show. Like what happened here? So, and you know, many of these families, Many families are struggling when when the girl finishes seminary. Now we got to go find the shidduch, and they got to uh, you got to you got to make a wedding for her, which is a, a very big amount. And then after that, after that, you have the um, you, know, you have support. You know, your parent has to support their kids in Kyle. So I would think that it would be a tremendous advantage. To, to, if it could be avoided, that big amount of money to spend, let's keep them home. It's a third of the price to keep them home. They could get 
started started with their career, you start with their jobs on some level, put away some money, and and in a in a financial way, they're way ahead if they stay home. So I I, I can't say it's a waste for everybody, but I, I would say for a lot of people, it's really really not kedai. Mm-hmm. Okay, Tzadok, you wanna you wanna? Yeah, I mean. I, I I'm not going to speak as much as Lonestein, but uh, um, I don't see how it's kedai. Um, it's an extreme luxury that uh, for sure someone who's struggling or taking stock definitely has no right to invest that money for even if there is a small advantage. Um, another mystery, I think it's the missing sock mystery, is no one knows why it costs. Uh, thirty thousand dollars for a seminary in Israel. One of the owners of a seminary in America told me that the highest paid rebbitzin in Israel, which means that you're teaching for twenty five years, gets less than the most elementary seminary teacher gets in America. And in America, they can only charge uh, seven, eight, whatever the prices are. So, besides the fact that you're not getting buck for your money, uh, you know, the question is why Why is there such an extreme expense? It doesn't make any sense. You have some seminaries that have a building from 40 years ago and, uh, you know, they're making a lot of money. They make a lot of money on registration and there's something missing. And I think we should all one day, everyone should get up and say, question one, is it worth the money? And why is it? Why does it cost so much money? Mm-hmm. So from my little opinion as a Shatchan, uh, I I don't think it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you both for joining us and sharing your thoughts and clearing up a lot of the confusion around this very, very complex topic. Sure. Anytime. We're speaking with Yehuda Geberer. He's a Jewish historian, a tour guide, and he's the host of a very popular podcast called Jewish History Soundbites, which I listen to almost every single episode. And he's actually in middle of discussing this very topic, the history of the Beis Yaakov movement. Welcome, Yehuda. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's a privilege. Thank you for having me. So we're talking about seminaries and girls' seminaries and how they came about to be. So just just to set up the, the, the historical context, for generations, girls weren't formally taught any Torah. That, 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 was, uh, that was a given, that girls weren't, weren't supposed to be taught Torah, and they weren't taught Torah. Is it true that girls didn't even know how to read Hebrew? Very often it was true. Um, there were many girls who did, uh, many girls who were able to read minimal Hebrew or Yiddish very often without understanding what they're saying. But overall, for most of the generations, there were a very high rate of illiteracy. They absorbed the atmosphere, the cultural atmosphere of uh, Judaism, of Yiddishkeit in their home, but there was definitely no education, formal or informal, very little. There was isolated incidents and individuals, some towns had something, but nothing systematic, no real education. Yeah, so talk about the historical context, the, the conditions that brought about a, a very drastic change to that. And, and the, what, 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 what were the things going on that gave rise to the Beis Yaakov movement? So the, the, uh, the, the mod- modern times brought a lot of changes to the Jewish people, and almost every institution we have is a product of the modern era and the challenges that the Jewish people face. Um, and... Uh, 
once uh, Jews in many countries in Europe received emancipation, so they started integrating into the surrounding societies, and even in Eastern Europe and the Russian Empire, where Jews did not receive emancipation, but the winds of change arrived there as well. Um, and and uh, all kinds of changes are up and about, and uh, the there's that's overall that's affecting everyone, every family, every community, some more than others, the bigger cities more than the smaller towns, and that's that's the story of the Jews in the modern era. What specifically was facing uh, girls is that a they didn't have any educational system that in, that you know gave them a a proper foundation or connection to Yiddishkeit that they that they're that their male counterparts had, in addition to the fact that in because of emancipation, especially in Galicia and places of the Austro-Hungarian Empire where the Jews received full emancipation, there started to be compulsory education. So you have to go to public school. The way so the fathers were willing to pay a fine to allow their sons to go to Cheder instead of the public school. But the girls, they'll go to public school. So you have a couple of generations, starting in the 1800s already, where girls are attending public school in many areas, in many areas of Europe, from religious homes, from Hasidic homes in Hungary and Galicia and other places, even in Russia, where it wasn't exactly compulsory. Uh, and uh, and uh, they're going to, so now they're, they're speaking the local language, whether it's German or Polish or Hungarian or whatever it is, as the first language. They're absorbing the values and the literature and the culture and of the surrounding society. And there becomes this wider and wider gap between the boys and the girls. And it became a crisis that and all kinds of other things that were going on. And you could elaborate it on the specifics of all these issues. But at the end of the day, it was a crisis. It was a crisis that that created that there was there was there's literally no future. And it wasn't to. It wasn't, uh, you know, the Jewish education wasn't started to uh, to create kailal wives. It was to save Yiddishkeit. There would have been no Jews left, and uh, there would have been no Shvir Shabbos. There would have been nothing. There would have been no Jewish home. And the, the, what seemed to be a possible solution was uh, education for girls. And it was already proposed. It wasn't that Sarah Shneer, uh, you know, you know, came up with the idea? She's one who actually did the did it, but. Um, but there were, it was already proposed before that, and Germany was already done by Shamshinopolhurst way before that. But um, she went out and actually did it into the trenches. Um, but it, it, was, it would seem to have been that this might be a solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. So it was really a case where a majority of Jewish girls were going off the derech, not, not, not being from, not keeping any mitzvahs? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it was a really desperate situation. I mean, the Chavetz Chaim, um, I don't know if you're going to mention it, the Chavetz Chaim writes in his, uh, in, in the Lakute Halachas, he says that it, 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 today, when the girls know how to read the languages of the, uh, of the nations, and they don't live at, with their parents, they're living in a different place. So what does he mean by that? What was, what, what was the situation then that he's referring to? So the Chavetz Chaim is is a, is a great is a great way to get into the discussion because he, that Heter, if we'll call it that, of the Chavetz Chaim, for girls to study Torah is is usually pointed to as the basis for uh, you know allowing Beisiako for allowing girls education because the main deterrent until that point was that girls are not allowed to study Torah, and the Chavetz Chaim and Likuti Halach is now I'm not the Halacha guy I don't know if someone else on the show is 
I don't know any halacha, I'm not getting into the Torah discussion, but in the historical process, the, 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 the isser of teaching girls Torah had to be dealt with by the traditional community. And the Chavetz Chaim, who actually, uh, I, I quoted it, I went along with a lot of the authors who write about uh, this Chavetz Chaim, uh, who dated to 1911, and when I quoted on the uh, on my podcast the other day, but in in reality, I was corrected um, uh, by um, by by the one who discovered that it was actually 1921. Rachel Menekin, a professor, who wrote on the subject, and uh, Chavetz Chaim published in 1921. Why does it make such a big difference if it's 1911 or 1921? It's very World simple. War One, World okay. War One, and Sarah Schneer. Schneer. Beis Yaakov started in between 1911 and 1921, and of course, World War One destroyed Jewish life entirely in between. So in, actual, in reality, the Chavetz Chaim publishes it in 1921, uh, a decade later than I had, than I had said. And, and uh, when Beis Yaakov was already a reality and schools were being opened and Sarah Shneer was already teaching. And in Likuti Alachis, which is one of the many sfarim of the Chavetz Chaim, it's also his yard site now, so that's also appropriate. And, he, and, the, um, and uh, where this Isser of teaching girls Tyra is mentioned, in Sayyid so Chavetz Chaim writes it as a footnote, not in the body of of the text. He writes it as a footnote that in our times, there's changing times, girls are not, they're, they're being exposed to the foreign culture, like you said, they're learning their languages. He said very often they're not even living in their parents' home, which is a reflective also of the times that many young uh, teenage children, boys and girls, are moving away from the shtetl to the cities. They're going to gymnasiums, they're going to seek work, to seek employment. There is no longer any employment in the small market towns of the industrialization that was reaching Eastern Europe at the time causes the whole economic system to change as well. And there is this tremendous, uh, not, not just a generation gap, but a cultural gap, a religious gap between the parents and the children, and especially the girls who are no longer exposed to any uh, any absorption of that atmosphere of Yiddishkeit, which had been taken for granted for generations. So the Chavetz Chaim says, in today's day and age, this Isser does not apply. Not only that, but it is a great mitzvah to teach them Torah. And then he limits it. He qualifies it by specifying what type of Torah he means. And he lists a few sparim. And, and then and that leaves the question is, so what about other sparim? Is that not a great mitzvah? It's only a little mitzvah. Is it not a great mitzvah, but it's mutter? Or is it not a great mitzvah, but it's, and it's still the old Isser? And that I'm sure the people who know, are knowledgeable of halacha will have a lot to say about that. But that, when the Chavetz Chaim said that, the Chavetz Chaim is expressing a historical phenomenon. He's looking around and he's saying, this is what's happening in history. It's dangerous. The world has changed. We have to, we have to recognize and confront the fact that the world is changing around us. We can't stick to the old ideals anymore. It's not going to work. Like you said, World War I had happened in between. I'm talking about in 1921 already, and uh, and 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 we have to do something, and that have to is we have to save the Tyra by teaching them Tyra, and that's the only way that it's going to work. Mm-hmm. What age girls did Sarah Schneer start with? It's a great question. The Sarah Schneer, um, when she she's inspired uh, to start. She was, uh, you know, a very fascinating uh, woman. Uh, you know, we could speak for an hour just about who Sarah Schneer was and her accomplishment, an amazing woman. But um, she was very knowledgeable, very self-taught, very her own person, very independent, um, very religious, very from. Um, and, and she, uh, but also very, 
you know, aware of what was going on, and she herself was uh, very well uh, read in 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 literature, not you know, in uh, secular subjects as well. And uh, during World War One, like many Jews from Galicia, she grew up in Krakow. She came from a Belzer Hasidic family in in Krakow, and uh, she escapes, like many other Jews of the area, to Vienna, to the capital of the empire. And there she goes to. She ends up in a shul that the Rav was Rabbi Dr. Moshe David Flesh, um, who was uh, who was a a uh, Talmud of Rabbi Shlomo Breuer, the son-in-law of Rabbi Shlomo Hirsch. And he, the way he spoke, first of all, he addressed the women directly in the shul and there's a snasha, which was unheard of in Krakow and the Hasidic Shigalitzi that she came from. The rabbis talked about uh, women, what you know, the, what the husbands needed to do for their wives or their daughters, but not to the the women. And here he was speaking directly to them and and giving them a message. And he, she started speaking to him, um, and he introduced her to Shamshan Afal Hirsch's world, his philosophy, his ideas. He tells her to read the 19 letters in Chayyim, and this becomes the Bible of Beis Yaakov. The Beis Yaakov lock, stock, and barrel is based on Reb Shamshin or Fall Hirsch. That was the first Torah education for girls was started in Frankfurt 75 years earlier, and uh, almost. And she and she bases it on that, and she goes. She says, "I'm going to start a school for girls." She comes back to Krakow in 1917. She starts with a group of older girls, and it didn't work. You asked what age, so it started with older girls to give them like a club. It wasn't even a school. It was like a social club. We're from, we're going to stay from, we're going to stay strong, and we're going to use these classes and shiurim and, and, and ideas to try to connect us to Yiddish. And it didn't work. They were ready to advance. They were ready to independent. They mocked her. They called her a frummy. After a short period of time, she realized it has to start from the younger kids before they get lost. And she starts with younger girls. She starts it with with the with literally with the elementary school age, and that's how it goes for several years. And in Krakow, it, this is in Krakow, the girls living at home. All in Krakow, yeah. Eventually, you know, it started to go very quickly. It's it's a movement that that grew very quickly. I mean, you're talking about within two three years of before even the funding and infrastructure fell into place, it already had you know spread to other towns and schools were opening. It it was something that literally took off. Incredibly uh, fast, and she, um, so she, it, it moves up. It's a, it becomes a full elementary school and kind of like a high school age also, and uh, and that, that's that, and that's how it, it built up. It developed. She started from the young girls, and then it just moved up through. A, we would call it eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade in Polish. It was recognized by the Polish government, so it went according to the Polish school system, um, and uh, went up to whatever grade the regular schools around the non-jewish schools around went mm-hmm. so much is said about sarashnir and what she accomplished uh, but not much is said about the opposition and the controversy around her we know there was opposition but we don't hear much about who they were and what actually happened um what can you tell us about that well the uh, the opposition was was from the the establishment. She was doing something that was uh, revolutionary, that was wrong, that was considered wrong by many people. Um, when someone proposed at a earlier, also in Krakow, ironically, in 1903, 15 years before she started, a rabbinical conference in Krakow, someone proposed uh, Menachem Mendel something Landau, was a rub in a town in Poland near Warsaw, Novitvor, 
he proposed that maybe to solve all the problems of that are facing the Jewish girls, that we should start a, a, a girls' education, Torah education for girls. And Rebilio Akiva Rabinovich, the Poltavarov, who was a very strong and dynamic leader at the time, he got up and said they're going to bring this terrible Haskola idea into the religious Jewish camp, into into our religious world. How can we even entertain such an idea? So it, it, it was the rabbinic establishment, the religious establishment was completely opposed to it. And, and, uh, and uh, it was very revolutionary, very new, and and considered very wrong. So that's where the opposition came from, and that's what she had to deal with. Um, th- there were many, there were Rebbe's and, and who refused, to, who said, in, in Galicia is where she's starting. Remember, it's Galicia. It's not Poland, it's not Lithuania, it's not Germany, it's not Hungary. In Galicia, who said it's not allowed to send to Beis Yaakov, the Kedusha scene of Baba, and the irony of ironies, her own Rebbe, the Rebbe Rebbe Sacher Dove Bells, the, the, not allow Belzards. Why is that such an irony? Because he was the one who gave her the bracha. When she started, her brother said to her, what are you getting involved in politics? If you start a school system, it means you're going to be involved in Jewish politics. What do you need to be involved in? So already then, education and politics was mixed. It was not a new thing. So (laughs) so he said to her, he said to her, you have to go to get a bracha from from our rebbe. So she said, okay, we'll get a bracha. He, he, he schlepped her to the Bells Rebbe, to Marienbad, where he was at the time. And he says, and, and uh, he says to her, he, he writes a kvittel. He goes in with her to the Rebbe. He writes a kvittel. He said, in the kvittel, it said, she wants to educate B'nai Yisrael in the spirit of Yiddishkeit and Torah. Something along those lines. Educate Jewish daughters in the Jewish derech. Something like that. A one-liner. In other words, no detail. That, that it was a school system, that it was formal education, that he was teaching them Tyra. Didn't say any of that. Didn't say that. It said that line that I told you. She wants to educate the nice Yisrael in the spirit of Yiddishkeit and Tyra. And she didn't say a word to the rabbi, and neither did the brother. They handed the kvittel to the, and they, the, the rabbi Bissachar Daiv says to her, Brachavatzlacha. Now that Abrahamatzlacha from the Rebbe Bishakhadai is a big thing. You don't want to joke about that. And Sarah Shanir took it very seriously. And it, we can easily say, and this is accepted in, in, in the Beis Yaakov movement until today, that that Brahavatzlacha, the Rebbe Bishakhadai, is what made the movement happen. And, it's, and, 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 and that's, I don't know, I accept that. That seems very plausible to me. He was one of the biggest tzaddikim in the world at the time. And he gave a Brahavatzlacha to the movement. But at the end of the day, he didn't support it. He didn't back it up. He didn't write her a letter of support. He didn't come tell everyone, send your daughters to the school. Fund for, he didn't say you should fund the school. He didn't do any of that. In fact, he said that the Belzers should not send to the school. So there's opposition is everywhere. No mm-hmm. one's supporting her. She's on her own. Right, so you might even say that actions speak louder than words in this case. Right, maybe. <laughs> in 1928, there's a letter that comes out from and the Ger Rebbe to support Beis Yaakov. So you have public support and a public letter. A year later, the 1929, the Ger Rebbe has another letter. The Ger Rebbe is the one who really was the first big gadol who comes out publicly, and even before that, uh, not publicly, in support of Beis Yaakov. And because of his prestige and his stance, that you know gave it the rabbinic uh, back. Now, uh, a couple of years later, uh, uh, Chavetz Chaim wrote a letter, and there's a whole issue in Freestock in Galicia, not far from Rimenup, where uh, where uh, 
whether there was opposition to starting a school, and the Agudas Yisrael asked the Chavetz Chaim, who was literally months before he was uh, to pass away, to write a letter in support of Beis Yaakov. So the Chavetz Chaim writes a letter. Keep in mind, this is 15, 16 years after the movement is around, and there's thousands of students, possibly tens of thousands, and tens of schools, possibly hundreds. Okay, so now let's get to the topic on hand, which is seminaries. I want to talk about seminaries. So when did the first seminary for women open? Well, what happened is, is that, that the Sarah Shanira became a victim of her own success. Her, she was so successful, and more branches are opening up, and, and, and schools are opening up, and, uh, and the enrollment is high, and there's no teachers. Why is there no teachers? Because no one had ever been trained to be a teacher because the concept didn't exist. So she simply needed teachers. So she went ahead in her, again, she started again from scratch, right? This time it's not for the school, the school's already taken off. She again, in 1922, five years after she started her first school, in again in her apartment, her little two-room apartment, she starts a teacher's seminary. What did a teacher's seminary mean? Simply a couple of teenage graduates from her high school. She personally teaches them how to be teachers. So she should have teachers. You know, this, uh, you know, once I could have got involved, so they got her a bigger apartment, eight-room apartment, and, and then in 1931, they built the iconic building, which still stands, which once upon a time, there was something called traveling to Europe. And I used to, in the old world, I used to actually lead groups. When there, when there was such a thing as live, live groups, yeah. yeah. <laughs> getting people uh, getting together. <laughs> right. And uh, so we would we would go to the building. We go to we go to the original building, the teachers' seminary of Besiako, built in 1931, a beautiful big five-floor building where she taught, and other teachers, you know, a whole big staff, very you know good stuff. She brought it from Germany, all these professional educators from Germany, graduates from Ramshamshin Falhirsch's school. Exactly, Dr. Judith Grinfeld and and Dr. Leo Deutschlander and, and all kinds of other teachers. Either way, so, so, the, so that's the first teacher seminary, and it's simply a function of the fact that there's a desperate need for teachers. Um, then she, then the assistant, then Besiako, as an organization, not specifically Sarshner, opens another one in Chernovitz, another one in Vienna, a small one in Bratislava, which is Preshburg in Slovakia. And there's several teacher seminaries that exist in Eastern Europe and Central Europe before the war to train teachers simply because this movement is is growing by leaps and bounds by simply astronomical numbers exponential growth and there's this constant desperate need for teachers so we need to have teacher seminaries to train those teachers that summer retreats to train them all kinds of things like that that's when te- the idea of a teacher seminary in Besiako started mm-hmm. so this was strictly for teachers it wasn't a standard for all girls oh no it was a very elite institution uh, it was hard to get in. Um, regular Beisakovs, they recruited them. The goal of Beisakov schools and the goal of teacher seminaries were two very different goals. The goals of the Beisakov schools were to save Yiddishkeit, to save the Jewish people, to save them from assimilation, to save them from becoming non-Jews, simple as put. And they wanted to get every single Jewish girl out there, every single Jewish girl in Poland, in Eastern Europe. We have to get them into Beisakov school. That was the goal. You know, they, they, they succeeded beyond their... Uh, Wildest dreams, but still they didn't get every girl, obviously. But um, that was the goal. So they re- tried to recruit every girl that could come. To g- the goal of the teacher seminaries was to train professional teachers. It was very elite, very hard to get into. It was only for, you know, uh, 
yichidim, very specific individuals who wanted to be teachers, who were willing to do it. It took a lot to, you had to go on your own as a teenage girl uh, to a town and start fighting with the establishment there to build a school and then fighting with parents to send their kids to the school when the girl is 17, 18 years old. Uh, so you're talking about a very unique type of individual who's got to have very, very good training to be able to, to do such a thing. So that's a very, very limited goal and it was limited in scope. And how long was the seminary training for? It depended. Um, some of them were a year or two. Mm-hmm. And did they ones, live? They lived in the building. They had, they yeah. had rooms there. The, the novelty of the Beisako Seminary, as far as what we spoke about earlier about the hetter of learning Torah, was even bigger. Because here, essentially, you're starting a yeshiva. You're <laughs> starting a yeshiva for girls. It's a dormitory, which is the first time that ever happened. The schools were obviously not dormitories. Dining room, Shabbosim, Yantif, Yudavan Rosh Hashanah, and Kippur oh. together. All the girls, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, uh, you, had, you had intensive learning because they're training to become teachers, not, not just the basics like they're giving in the elementary school. And there was a very, that was like a whole new level of, of revolutionary, uh, uh, you know, type of uh, institution that, um, that, that, that took off with the, with the seminary. Mm-hmm. Who paid for all of this? Like, who funded this? Obviously, the girls themselves came from very poverty-stricken homes. They couldn't pay for all this. Who, who funded it? So the majority, the regular schools, the majority was paid for by a good, either two things. They, 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 I've got to make sure that it was accredited by the Polish, Polish government. So there's government funding. It's an officially recognized school. There's a, a lot of government funding. And, um, you know, they went through the, the Polish... Uh, you know, what you have in New York or regions or finals or whatever it is. So they had that, those tests, and you had to learn those subjects. You had to have all those, all the, everything that the Polish government, in order to be recognized, you know, the less, some of them were less, some of them were more like afternoon schools. The girls went to public school in the morning and they went to the Beis Yaakov afternoon school, especially in the smaller towns. It really depended on each place. There was a lot, it wasn't like a very uniform uh, curriculum. Um, because a lot of it depended on each uh, locality, what was possible to build at that specific place. But um, a lot of the funding came from Agudas Yisrael, Karen Atayra. Karen Atayra constantly fundraised and gave a large chunk of what they fundraised to Beis Yaakov. And then there was tuition, especially in the teacher's seminaries. The teacher's seminaries, the students of the teacher's seminaries came primarily from the upper middle class, rich Hasidim, who wanted you know, from Sostovich, you know, wealthy businessmen, Hasidim, you know, who wanted their girls to not just get a Beisiakov education, but become a teacher, and they would uh, pay the tuition. So uh, there was tuition in some schools, and especially in the seminaries. Mm-hmm. Okay, so going over to the modern era, after, after World War II, um, this is America, there's Eretz Yisrael, even Europe, and the seminaries that are started in all those continents. Um, what well, how did those come about? So, I, I know less about the United States, which I assume is the primary focus. I'll speak a little bit about uh, Israel and, and, and a drop about the United States, and we'll try to bring it up until the modern era. Anything contemporary, I'm very much unaware. And not only am I Israeli, but uh, my girls are very young, so I would never have gone through the experience yet. So, I'm, I'm not really in the uh, seminary scene, but but as far as history is concerned, in Beis Yaakov and Eretz Yisrael, we'll start with that. We'll go to and I'll jump back to the United States and and uh, and we'll try to tie it all together uh, quickly. 
So in Eretz Yisrael, you have the first Beis Yaakov school, before we get to seminary, because the seminary is an outgrowth of the school. Um, it started by Mayor Sharansky in Tel Aviv in 1933. So it's pre-war. A couple of years later, Hill Lieberman starts it in Yerushalayim, and he's uh, shortly afterwards joined a couple of years, a few years later, by Pinchas Levine, who comes from the Gerer's aristocracy, from the Bendina Rav and Rabbi Shemaya Levine from the Israeli politics. And so he's, he's one of the Levines. And Rabbi Pinchas Levine and Rabbi Lieberman, they start the first Beis Yaakov in Yerushalayim. Later, a Yekir, a, a German Jew, star, Rabbi Yosef of Rome, Wolf, starts the first Beis Yaakov in B'nai Brak with the encouragement of the Chazoin Ish. But that's in the 1950s. That's pretty much later. Okay? So you have the 1930s in Tel Aviv and Yerushalayim. You have in the 1950s in B'nai Brak. Beis Yaakov is starting to get off the ground. Now, the same thing that faced Sarah Schneer is faced by Mayor Sharansky and later Hillel Lieberman and Pinchas Levine, is that they're starting in a desert and they, and they start growing and there's no teachers. There's no teachers. What are we going to do? I spoke to a daughter of, uh, of, a, of a woman in a, in a, uh, 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 who was the, one of the first Beisiakov teachers in or it's Yisrael in the 1930s. She came, she, she grew up in Bendin in Poland. She studied by Sarashenir in, in Krakow, and then she moved to Eretz Yisrael in the 1930s. And she, and her daughter told me that her mother was hired by Rebilla Lieberman in Yerushalayim. And he said, I need you because I need religious teachers. In the meantime, most of the subjects are taught by irreligious teachers because I don't have any religious teachers. And I need someone like you. You come from Sarashanir yourself. So that, that's the situation they're facing. So they simply go ahead and start a teacher seminary. It made the most sense. You don't have teachers, start a teacher seminary. So they start. Tel Aviv, Yerushalayim, they start already in the 1930s. Again, there's still a whole world in Europe. That, so you have the first teacher seminary. And again, it's to fill a desperate need. 1950s, something changes. In the 1950s, what starts to develop in in Eretz Yisrael is what's known in Hebrew as the Chevrat Halomdim, the Society of Learners, where because of the Chazanish and other factors that were involved, there's there's a, a growing number of young men who continue their studies in Kail after marriage, and they would need a way to make a living. So they said, hey, we all there's always this desperate need for Beis Yaakov teachers. Why don't we encourage future Kail wives to continue their studies after post high school into a teacher seminary, they'll become a Beis Yaakov teacher, and they'll make a respectable living. They're paid for by the Israeli government, by the Ministry of Education. They have summers off, they have afternoons off. It's a cushy job. It's a tyrannical job, and they'll support their husbands. So it became a function of the developing Haredi society, and because of that, it became almost mandatory to be continue after high school into a teacher seminary. What happened? God blessed the Haredi society with a huge demographic growth and success. They became this huge society. In the 1980s, the supply of teachers far outweighed the demand because everyone was continuing post high school into the teacher seminaries. The 1980s, they developed in the seminaries that not only are you going to study how to become a Yaakov teacher, you'll also learn professions. And there was a bunch of different professions. You could become, an, you know, learn bookkeeping and all kinds of other professions. And because the Israeli government funds the Beis Yaakov schools in Israel, 
So they have a lot to say about what the curriculum should be and about what professions they should be teaching. And there's always this back and forth about adding different professional tracks because, but to be honest, there's, you don't need that many teachers. The teacher's training is, is superfluous. You have a few teachers, that's enough. So the teacher's seminaries at this point in Israel have become professional training with one of the tracks being teacher's training to, to supply that need. Um, that's the post high school, and that's how it developed in Israel. In the United States, it started off in a very similar way. How did Beis Yaakov start there? First and famously was Rebbe Sinvichne Kaplan, one of the prime, she's you know, a legend, she's the Sarishnir of America without question. And she's the architect in Williamsburg. It was also about Rob Newhouse, the Telzer, and he and his wife, he was very involved. And there's all, all types of other people also. I don't want to give the whole history of Beis Yaakov over the United States at this point, but in the 19, uh, um, late 1930s, early 1940s, late 1930s, they're starting Beis Yaakov in America, Williamsburg, and later in Borough Park, and Lower East Side, and it branches out. Vichna Kaplan, Robinson Vichna Kaplan is facing the same exact issue. There are no teachers, and we have this, everyone's sending their kids to public school, we want kids to go to Beis Yaakov in the United States, we need teachers. So she starts the first teacher seminar. And it was, again, very simple to fill a need. We don't have any, we need. Let's start, and very similar to Sarshner, she starts it in her living. So she, she goes ahead and that pioneer and goes ahead to fill the need to have teachers and teacher seminaries. But the next development of the seminary world is we somehow combine the Israeli and American story. In, in the post six day war era, the uh, boys, males, they start coming to yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael to learn. Become, there's a little bit of a trickle before the six day war, but it really starts to become more in style in the late 1960s, early 70s, to Mir, to Brisk, to other yeshivas. And, uh, and at that time, girls started to come, or the idea of girls, to, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't exactly know why girls started coming, what came first, the chicken or the egg. But remember I mentioned Hill Lieberman and Pinchas Levine's Beis Yaakov, they opened up a branch of that Beis Yaakov, it's not, I didn't get clear exactly what year it was. Seems to be either late 60s or early 70s. And they opened this branch of their Beis Yaakov for Americans coming from the United States to Israel to study in a teacher seminary. What they're establishing is not a Beis Yaakov high school or elementary school for Americans. They're establishing a teacher seminary for Americans to come and study. That is what we know today as BJJ. And they hire Yitzhak Kutner's daughter, a very capable uh, Rebbitson, may she live in the well, Rebbitson, Buria David, to be the head of the school, and, and, and it takes off. So the idea of the seminary, again, I don't know if they measured the market, was there a desperate need at that time? They need to have these teachers. Why did they need to be trained in Israel? I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know exactly how that phenomenon came about, but that's how the Israeli, the Israel scene of Americans started, and it was seemingly to produce teachers. It was a, it was a teacher seminary, and 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 uh, and it was it was uh, created to produce those teachers. Mm-hmm. So that part of the seminary obviously wasn't funded by the Israeli government because the students were coming from America. Is that correct? Uh, I I would imagine you're correct. It's very likely the way schools are set up in Israel is that if the institution is an Israeli institution, they could get funding for an American program. Uh, there are ways to do that. And if there's a way to do it, then you can be sure that Gerach Hasidim running an institution will find a way to get it. So they'll, they'll I, I imagine that there is some sort of funding from the Israeli government, but I can't say for sure. I never looked into that. 
Okay, so it seems like uh, the, 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 the modern-day seminary, especially today where it's almost universal, that almost every girl uh, in America or abroad goes to Herzl to seminary, is very different from the original purpose of the seminary, which was to train teachers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what goes on in seminaries today, if, if they're training teachers or not, but I can say for sure that in history, it was to fill a need that existed, that we must have teachers, and therefore we need this, a teacher seminar. Mm-hmm. Okay, this was a fascinating discussion, really, really informative and comprehensive. I really uh, highly recommend everyone listen to Yehuda's podcast called Jewish History Soundbites, where he's discussing this very subject. So thank you very much, Yehuda, for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0, a show exploring the changes happening to how we do Chinuch. Chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me, Aaron Special thanks to David Lichtenstein of Headlines, who inspires the show. You can subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts or on our website, chinuchshow.com. For suggestions, comments, or guest ideas, please visit chinuchshow.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>